0: Welcome to Home Selling Hero, hosted by real estate veteran, Tom Didier. Each week, we break down today's ultra-hot home seller's market and give you the tips, tricks, and guidance to navigate the selling process and get the most out of selling your home. Proudly presented by the Tom Didier team.
1: Let's jump in. Greetings and Moyenne. Welcome to the Home Selling Hero podcast. I am your host, Tom Didier. And today I have a guest with me, Craig Haskins from Nightberry Title. I'm going to ask him to introduce himself here shortly. But Craig and I have been doing business together literally for 21 years. Craig, give, me, give us just a short introduction on yourself and Nightberry Title. And tell people what you do without boring them, because you and I know that title, title <laughs> can be boring.
2: Well, first of all, I'm much younger than you. <laughs> yeah. Like I think months, much younger than you.
1: Three, no, three Maybe weeks. a few months.
2: <laughs> Something like that. My family owns Nightberry Title. It's a title insurance and closing company. So when uh, Tom sells a home, the folks come to our office to sign all the documents. It involves uh, somewhat of an exhaustive research of the public records to figure out who owns it and what debts they have to pay. And uh, we take care of the buyers. They, sell, they sign mortgages and all the money comes into our account. Usually the seller leaves with some money. Uh, buyer gets a home. County gets the property transferred and away we go. So we've been doing this for 100, almost 170 years My family's owned it since the 70s. We've got uh, about 80 offices around five states. Uh, We're from Wisconsin, southeast Wisconsin for sure. Uh, Port Washington, where you're sitting, Tom, was our third office out of 85, and uh, we're real happy to... I've met you, um, what, two thousand one, yeah, March? Long
1: time ago, a long, long time ago. I always tell people, uh, title is the same as the title for your car, only it's a much more expensive title because your houses and property are usually worth a lot more than your car, so it's a it's an insurable asset that's very much required. What we're going to be talking about today is pretty important. the The topic is going to be how to sell real estate and not pay taxes, because unless you enjoy paying taxes, uh, you know. You might not want to listen to the rest of this podcast, but we're going to give you some tips and tricks and show you how it's done, and talk about when you sell your real estate. Mostly, we're going to talk about commercial, but we'll talk about residential as well. But we're going to be talking about how to how to not pay taxes on that. So, with that, we'll get right into Craig. Tell us what is a ten thirty one exchange, and then before I forget. Where did the name Starker come from? Is that is that a slang word, or what is Starker? Because my dad taught me 20 years ago, you know, we're going to Starker that, we're going to Starker that. You know the origins of that?
2: Yeah, there's a gentleman named Mr. Starker who sold some property, I believe, in the northwest part of the United States, and he uh, sold property and used the proceeds to buy a different property and didn't feel that he should pay a capital gain tax on the profit he made on that sale because he rolled it right back into purchase. So his idea was, we're just exchanging properties. I'm not cashing out. I shouldn't pay the IRS. It's not a gain. And then he went to court and ended up. Um, the IRS or the government created this Section 1031 of the tax code, which, which allows for deferring taxes when you when you buy a like kind property.
1: So when did they create 1031? Mr. Starker is obviously the guy to thank for this. But what I mean, are we talking twenty, thirty, forty, fifty years?
2: You know what? That's a great question, Tom. I'm going to say longer than we've been alive. Yeah, it's been around a quite a long time, but you know, there's no real, like, I, I guess there's what's called a safe harbor. So the, in the IRS, in section 1031, it kind of gives you some, some things that you can do to stay in the safe harbor to ch- exchange property A to property B with deferring to capital gain taxes. There's, but I get, you know, a million calls a year on, can I do this? And can I do that? You can, there's not like a, a Bible in the IRS that you can look up and specifically find your scenario. So a lot of what's happened in the 1031 world is what people do, and then there are rulings that say, "Well, you couldn't do that," and that's how all of us learn. Like, well, nope. I guess guess uh, hard way. this guy in Kansas got in trouble, so we can't do it this yeah. way. So, and but by, by the way, Tom, before I before I go on, I just want to make sure everyone knows that you're gonna, you're, I'm you're not an say, attorney. Or, say, we gotta, we're to the well, point where I, we're gonna I, say,
1: by the way, we're not attorneys and we're not yeah. CPAs, we're not accountants. <laughs> we're just the owner of a real estate brokerage and a title company.
2: That's that's right. I would just urge anyone any. Any taxpayer to get advice from an attorney or accountant on this, because you can really, you can really get sideways uh, doing something incorrectly, and and really, I don't think it's any fun to get sideways from what I understand with the IRS. So you want to, you, you want to get a, get a professional to do something like that.
1: I knew that was coming. Quick as soon as we started talking, I'm like, ah, we should probably tell them we're not accountants <laughs> or attorneys. So I'm going to paint for the listeners the picture of how this works, and then you can explain it in a clear manner. So I've, I bought a property 20 years ago. It was a commercial property for $200,000. bucks. i am selling it now in 2022, and I'm selling it for $400,000. I am selling it for $200,000 more than I paid for it, and I don't want to pay any gains on that. So what do I do?
2: Now, there's all, there's all kinds of, obviously, as you can imagine, there's a billion different scenarios with what goes into how much the gain is. But let's just take the fifth-grade version of, so you got you got 200,000 in gain/profit slash and you need to pay tax on it. So you're you know first thing your accountant's going to want to do is figure out if it's a short-term tax rate. It sounds like this is a long-term gain because you've held it for so long. Then you're going to pay capital gain tax on that. But you say, "Wait a minute. I'm not cashing out, Mr. Starker," as he mm-hmm. said. Mr. Didier says, "I'm not cashing out. In fact, I I just want to take my what did you say, it was a duplex and roll it into a eight family because I'm getting really good at this rental yeah. game." But I, And I don't want to pay taxes right now. So no worries. The, that's what the 1031 safe harbors for. It allows you to take that 200000 that you've, quote unquote, made in profit from that first sale and roll it into the next property, thereby deferring your gains. Eventually, sometime down the road, Tom's going to say, this rental game's not for me. I'm going to retire. I'm going to go to Key West and have a great time. And I'm going to cash out all my earnings and then pay taxes. So you're you're simply kicking the can down the road. You're deferring the tax some later date. And that's what the 1031 allows.
1: And there's no limit. I can kick it down the road for as long as I want until I die, right?
2: Well, again, you're going to end up dying and passing it on to your kids. And then there's a basis issue and there's a zillion other types of rules that kick in. But yeah, the elementary version is when you're finally out of the game and you want to cash out, then that's the time you got to pay the piper or, you know, pass it down to your heirs. And there's all kinds of other rules that kick in on that. That's what an accountant would be a good question for them.
1: All right, so we've got the scenario where I am selling this place for 400. I got 200 gain. I'm gonna I'm gonna defer it through a 1031 exchange. Craig, you said I don't have any time limit. I can defer it once I identify a property and I acquire that new property. I don't have to buy. I don't have to keep it or sell it in any time frame. I can I can keep it forever after that.
2: Well, I mean, I think you might be getting at is there are uh, there are many timing rules when you do do that exchange. Maybe we can take a second to step through those. But for instance, if you defer a gain on that $400,000 sale today, and then you buy that eight family, and then you buy the apartment building, then you buy the mall. And over the next 30 years, you're you're taking that initial gain from 2022 just kick it down and just road. moving it down the line. You can keep doing that. You can just keep doing that. Eventually, like I said, eventually the IRS is going to get their money, whether it's from you or whether it's from your heirs or whether it's from some other scenario.
1: What about the name of the owner? Does it have to be the same? Do I have to keep it in the same ownership or can I change the yeah. identity of the owner down the road as I, as I keep acquiring and deferring?
2: The The questions that you're asking are perfect. And there are a stack of 1031 frequently asked questions that we get all the time. And I think maybe and
1: that's on your website, right? Nightberry.com.
2: It should be. If not, then we'll make sure. <laughs> yes, we'll work on that. Um, but for instance, Ten thirty ones are also known as like kind. You already mentioned Starker. That was the guy who started this mess. But ten thirty ones are also known as like kind. I didn't mean to say mess, but you know what I meant. They're like kind exchanges. You you need to exchange property for property, artwork for artwork, airplanes for airplanes, in a like kind setting. So as long as you're holding them for investment or productive use in your trader business, then those are those are things that you're allowed to do. Now, um, the timing is interesting. So the timeline for the exchange period is how you can get really sideways. So let's just assume you're selling that house for 400000 or that duplex or whatever it was for 400000 That's day zero. So today, you walked out of the closing room day zero. And by the way, you walk out of the closing room with no gains. Goes to your account. The gain is held at the t- Yeah, it goes into our account. We hold it for you until you go find that next thing you're going to want to buy.
1: That's an official trust account, I assume?
2: Yeah it's, a, yeah, it's a custodial escrow yeah.
1: account. So it's an interest-bearing, but I'm guessing the state of Wisconsin gets the, the interest on that.
2: Well, no. Th- we can invest it into an interest-bearing account for you. So if we hold it in d- didier investments or whatever it is in an interest-bearing account, all the interest just keeps accruing into your 1031 account and allows you to roll more into that new property. But I don't know if you've paid attention to the interest rates in the last few years, Tom. But uh, they haven't been very, they haven't been very exciting uh, the last I don't know five ten years as far as the return you can get on depositing money. But it depends if you have a huge if you're if you've got a, millions of dollars you're investing. In an interest-bearing account, it might make sense. But usually, this money is in there for such a short period of time, you're not really gaining any money. So it typically sits in the title company's escrow account, ready to be used. You might close tomorrow. You might close next week. But the timing is important. So you walk out of that closing on day zero. You have 45 days to identify what you want to buy. Remember, the IRS, Safe Harbor, they want you to have an idea of what you're going to do. They don't want you to say, hold my money, and I'm going to go figure this out. They kind of want you to have a plan. And your plan, for your argument's sake, is, look, I'm not taking this money because I'm going to replace the property with some replacement property and keep it as an investment. So they give you a short window, 45 days, to identify the property.
1: Can I ask for an extension on that if I do, if I need more time?
2: No. No, as in, in fact, if you say, well... Well, it was Memorial Day Monday. That was my deadline, and the title companies weren't open, and I didn't get it identified until day 46. Too bad, so sad. So you got to be very mindful of weekends, holidays, and things like that. If you're up hunting up north, Tom, you better get that stuff done. Not having internet connection is not an excuse for the IRS to allow you to do that. So you've identified your property. We, again, they want you to have a plan. So let's talk about what you can buy.
1: No, wait, back up. If I remember correct, I can identify up to three properties. Is that correct? I thought you could identify multiple potential properties.
2: You can, and that's a good point. So you can identify uh, numerous properties, but most people identify three or fewer. Because with three or fewer, you can, there aren't many other rules. You're going to say, I I like this four-family, I like this eight-family, I like this ten-family. I'm not sure. I'm going to go negotiate with all of them, or maybe I'll buy them all. But these are the three on my list. And then, sure, and Tom's going to say, well, one fell through, this seller's being a real creep, and I can't, so I'm going to replace it with a different property. If you're in that 45-day window, you can mix and match those properties uh, up to three. Over three, you get a bunch. uh, This podcast can go on forever if we get into the rules, but most people say under three, over three, there's some IRS rules that kick in on how many and what you have to do to require.
1: Well, so you can actually identify. Do you pay a fee maybe for more potential properties? Or
2: Glad you asked. The second rule is a 200% rule. So if you identify more than three, the combined value of those three can't exceed 200% of what you sold. Uh, and then there's another one that... If you've identified more, uh, there's a 95% exception, which I'm not going to get into. It's a little more detail, but it's rare that we we see that. Most people keep it.
1: So I'm selling the place for 400. The rule is I need to exchange it with something worth at least 400. Correct? 401? Yeah,
2: because you're yeah you yeah or it's called boot. So if you if you sold something for 400 and you're going to buy something for 401,000, that's great. You're stepping up. Your investment. The IRS says, look, if you're going to defer taxes because you're investing, we want to see you make a substantial investment bigger than what you used to make. Now, if you say, well, I tried, I can't get any property. I'm settling on this one for 350 dollars Then that difference, that $50,000 that $50, difference in in what you sold and what you bought because you didn't go bigger, then there's some tax on the boot. It's called boot, taxable boot. So again, I'm not an accountant. Your accountant can uh, talk your ears off on that too.
1: What about the opposite of that? Is there a limit? So when I sell on this duplex for 400 can I buy a multifamily for $2 million?
2: To my knowledge, it's, there's no limit. Yeah. And, and you asked earlier about who has to be the buyer of the property. So again, let me just finish up on that. Zero is the day of closing. 45 days, you tell me you've got up to these three properties. Now, the reason is we don't want someone saying, I'm buying a duplex in Milwaukee. Well, there's thousands of them. Yeah. They, remember, the plan, you have to have a plan. They don't want you just winging specific. it. So you're going to have a three exceptions in specific. Now, you sold it as Diddier Investments, and I just made that up. Didier Investments, LLC. Now, we expect that you're going to buy that as Diddier Investments, LLC. So if you and your partners, let's say you and I owned properties together, and you and I were the Craig and Tom LLC, the IRS is going to expect us to go into the next property as the Craig and Tom LLC. So what well, you're going to say, well, Craig... Craig needs the cash. He wants out. He doesn't like being a landlord. Tom loves it. The IRS is going to want you to prepare in advance to partition that. So to say, Tom, you go your way with your uh, proceeds to exchange so you don't have to pay tax. Craig's going to bite the bullet, take his cash, pay the IRS income or the um, capital gain tax and move on with his life. I'm done with rentals. So, there are ways to do that, but typically we see the seller of the $400,000 property being the same buyer as the next property. Again, a billion different rules. That's why they have lawyers and accountants to advise on that. But the typical everyday thing ABC LLC sells, ABC LLC buys. You can buy, you can sell farmland and buy a mall. You can sell a mall and buy apartments. It's like kind, real property, not selling farm equipment and or not selling real estate and then going and buying uh, nft sports cards or anything wacky like that
0: Have a house to sell but not sure who to trust when it comes to getting the best deal and leveraging the current market Trust the experts at the Tom Didier team With over a quarter century of selling Milwaukee Tom and his team of real estate experts are here to ensure that you get every penny you deserve out of selling your home No matter where you live in the dairy State, put one of Wisconsin's top real estate teams to work for you in selling your home and making the most of your real estate investment. Looking to buy a house instead? Tom and his team have you covered here as well, helping you craft and perfect the offer on your dream home. Visit SellingMilwaukee.com to find out how much your home could be worth. And connect with the team to make your
1: next real estate transaction a dream Now back to the show. But the important thing to realize is this, this mechanism does exist that you you can sell your property and as you said, kick the can down the road, not pay any tax on it whatsoever if it's done properly. and again, it's even or up. I mean can I do 400 to 400? 400 does it have to be 401?
2: I think so. I mean, what would your difference? What would your boot be if it was the same? It'd be four hundred to four hundred. So again, I'm, I believe that'd be fine. All
1: right. What about this? What about I'm going to exchange? I'm going to exchange my vacant land for an eight-unit. So I got hundred acres of land. I'm selling that. It's been an investment for me. Can I exchange that vacant land with a multifamily?
2: Yeah, real property for real property. Okay. Those are and usually I can exchange fine. An industrial you know.
1: building for yeah. vacant land. Anything commercial as long as it's a rental type investment property?
2: As long as it's real property. So remember, Tom, we are at the point in time where it's the 45th day, you've identified your couple properties, you're gonna go buy them. You're gonna go buy one, two, or all of them. Now, how long do you have after that? Remember, closing the initial closing was day zero. You have a total of 180 days to complete this. The first 45 days are are the identification period, and then the balance is the 180 day to get to that closing to buy whatever the heck you're going to buy. So, again, same rules on that, Tom. If you're hunting, if you don't have internet, if it's the holiday or the weekend, too bad, so sad, better have a better plan. And, you know, title companies and exchange companies like ours – we try our best. We've got calendaring systems. We try to notify you. We're not obligated to do that, but we do try to reach out and say, hey, by the way, you know, you've got a holiday weekend, and we notice you're getting close to your 180 days. You might want to you know, get, get into gear and get this figured out. So we've got de- to deal with that, too.
1: Random segue here because Craig's kind of a tech geek, but you'll be happy to know, Craig, I, I have Starlink now. I have the RV Starlink. We took it up north to northern Wisconsin last week, and it works awesome. I was getting like 140 download um, at my cabin, which previously got zero. So yeah, I can't use the excuse of no internet anymore because I've got Starlink. And it travels with, I got the RV version, so it actually travels with you. You can plug it in anywhere.
2: Yeah. So, all right. So you've, we've figured out your timeline now. You figured out the types of property you can identify. You've typed, you've figured out that it's a like kind, real property for real property. We've told you where your money is going to be. We've pretty much now handled... About 90 plus percent of all the questions the regular taxpayer calls and, and asks us about their first exchange. And they get better. Most people do an exchange, you get, you know, you, it's in your blood now. You're going to go from an eight to a 12 to a 16, and you're just going to keep rolling that in to keep doing investments. So, the more of these you do, the more you get the hang the hang of it. But like I said, there's a million different tax based rules behind the scenes. But that's the basic timeline that that we're going to make you make you live by. And by I say when I say we, I mean the IRS and their safe harbor under Section 1031.
1: What about fees? Is this going to cost me money? Is there actually a fee to doing an exchange?
2: Yeah, typically the seller or the taxpayer, or the whatever LLC, is going to pay somewhere you know seven hundred to a twelve hundred bucks, depending on the complexity of the exchange for the title company or the 1031 uh, company, the 1031 exchange company that's going to hold it.
1: So it's not related to the sale price. The, sale, the, the fee is the same, whether I'm exchanging a $100,000 property or a $20 million property. The fee to perform the exchange is the same.
2: Kind of correct. But I mean, look, if it's a, if you're selling a $50 million building, I'm going to have a heck of a lot more work than if you're selling a $50,000 vacant piece of land. So the, the, the starting rate you know, that I that I mentioned a little while ago. Most title companies are in that ballpark, but as it gets more complex, you're gonna have a million more questions, a million more documents. Yep. It's one of those things that will call you and say, geez, I can't do this, you know, one for seven hundred and fifty, you know, bucks or something like that. So you're gonna, you know, but, but everyone's pretty honest in, in the 1031. Oh, I shouldn't say it like that. Everyone's really honest in the 1031. This is this is rules are rules kind of stuff. There's really little flexibility. Yeah, and, it
1: sounds like there's you, no you, bending you c- the rules with the IRS, go figure. I don't think that'll come surprising mm. to anybody. But you can ask pretty please as much as you want. And uh, it doesn't sound like the IRS is going to bend their rules.
2: That's correct. Now, if you want to take on the IRS, I mean, we see that's how we learn about can we sell this for that. We think we point you and your tax attorney to the Section 1031 and you wing it. And if you lose, then there's a private letter ruling or there's some type of uh, uh, IRS ruling out there. Then the rest of the country knows, well, can't do that. You can't just dial up the IRS and say, hey, uh, can you do this? You kind of have to get a good attorney and a good accountant to kind of figure it out with you and make some common sense. Uh, without you know, pushing the buttons too much.
1: Yeah. And just so the listeners understand, I don't know if if it sounds complicated, but I was telling Craig before the podcast, I've probably participated as a broker in a hundred or two hundred or maybe more of these. It's actually incredibly easy. You get a, if you have a good title company like Night Berry and they do this daily, it's literally just a matter of filling out the forms and having them assisting the documents. But I probably do a, like-kind exchange representing a seller at least monthly, at least monthly, probably twice a month. So it actually, uh, I don't want the listeners to be scared off thinking this is a uh, hugely complicated mathematical formula. You can simply, when you sell your place, as long as you're rolling with it and kicking it down the road, you can just buy something like-kind and and not pay taxes. That's the whole point of teaching the listeners that you don't have to pay tax. Uh, I think some people are worried about selling because they bought it many, many years ago and they're just worried like, well, yeah, if I sold it, I'd probably have to pay the government. So Hopefully, we're educating the uh, listeners um, because it's a great tool for commercial. We talk about, in the commercial world, the Commercial Association of Realtors, they talk about how this is the most important tool they have. Um, Politically, Craig, and Craig's very involved on the political side, this this mechanism seems to come under fire a lot depending on who's in the administration and who's representing who, but it seems to come up on topic all the time like, hey, the government's going to get rid of the like exchange and capture a tax every time something's sold and Everybody fights pretty hard to keep it. I don't think it's going away. What are your uh, opinions on that?
2: I mean, I think about a few months ago, the Biden administration said, you know, we're going to look at eliminating this tax uh, 1031 exchange. It's a lot of tax that uh, the country is not collecting because all these uh, wealthy investors are not paying, and, you know, are deferring it. And that sucker's dead on arrival. I mean, that, that I think every every few administrations, I'd guess, uh, floats that idea out there. It doesn't It doesn't go very far. Um, it's not, I I don't see it as a, um, as like a partisan deal. It's not like more Democrats or more Republicans are doing exchanges. I mean, I think it's, you don't have to be a Republican or a Democrat to do an exchange. Um, like I said, they're done on all types of real estate, whether it's in your local city on a farmland or a big malls, East coast, West coast, it doesn't matter. So there's really, I don't get much political backing when, when those are thrown out because it's. And it, it kind of comes as an idea, and then kind of goes away. But
1: the reality is, it keeps everything circulating. It's the law of circulation.
2: I also want to make sure that we've we've talked about commercial and non-residential real estate, but there is a capital gain component on a, on a home too. So we've talked about a deferral of tax, meaning we we've used the term kicking the can on a commercial. You're you're going to roll it, roll it, roll it down, down, down. Well on a residential home there you know there is a gain you sold you bought your private residence your personal residence for 200 and sold it for 400 you've got a $200,000 gain the difference is on your personal residence it's not a deferral where you're kicking it down it's an exemption so there is there are gains in fact most people i would propose i would suspect and i could figure this out if i just asked our closing department and title department most people now are selling for more than they bought it from years ago. And some people, those are called gains, but you don't have to pay a capital gain on your personal residence. So there was uh, every seller at a closing table. And Tom, you've seen this a million times. We asked the questions of every seller. How, what's the sale price? How long have you lived here? Have, have you used this for, per, uh, for personal residence only? Have you uh, operated this as a business have you? Uh, because uh, a single person can exempt two hundred and fifty thousand in gain without paying the tax. It's an exemption, not a deferral. A married couple, half a million. So under your scenario, Tom, if a married couple bought for two hundred and sold it for seven, there's a half a million exemption. There's no tax. Now if it sold, bought for two hundred and sold for a million, half a million of it is exempted, and then you've got to deal with the balance. So you do deal with capital gain taxes on private personal your residences as well. Uh, and you can't do an exchange on those.
1: But in the scenarios you just gave us, we're not paying capital gains on the primary residence. In its simplest form, if you're a single person, you can sell your primary home every two years and make up to $250,000. It will be exempt. And if you're a married couple, you can sell your primary home every two years and exempt up to half a million in gains.
2: Yeah, so as you can imagine, the the majority, the overwhelming majority of people that are selling their homes aren't making a half a million in, in gains. So this typically doesn't come up that often. If it does, we re- we hand the seller a ten ninety nine, just like you would get from, you know, selling you know whatever stocks or whatever investments you have, uh, and then we would report that to the IRS at the end of the year and say the. Jones family yep. uh, is reported for this transaction, and the IRS would then suspect or expect to see that on your income tax returns that you've reported some gain, you're going to pay some tax on it. So uh, it, it's different. The exemption versus the referral is a key thing to most people. I hear them say, oh, it's my primary residence. I don't have to worry about capital gain tax. Well, if you've yep. done very, very well, you might I have a to.
1: customer... His name's Quint. He's awesome. He was a great customer for many years, and he would sell his primary home every two years. It seemed like clockwork, and he was a very smart buyer. He would buy these houses for whatever, and him and his wife would go in and fix them up and decorate them to the nines. And every two years, he was never attached to his houses. And he's in Arizona now. I think he's retired. It was probably part of his retirement plan was that he made so much money in exempt capital gains that he probably went to Arizona and bought a really nice place. But you can sell your house every two years tax free Yeah
2: and that's the que- that's the question we ask you at the closing is you've, have you done this again? Have you done this you only- in the last two year period? Uh, in fact, I uh, when I first moved to Wisconsin in 96, I bought my first house and then two years later I, I, I had a uh, uh, my first son and Tom your first son was born right around the same time. And I said, I need a bigger house and made some money on it and didn't have to pay the taxes. It was outside of the two years and then had another kid. and then So I did that same thing for a period of years, too, where every two years something came up. It always seemed like I had a life event that would push me into the next bigger house. Um, so, yep, every two years. And, uh, you, you know, obviously can't use the, you know, you can't use the house for your business as well, too. So there's other kinds of rules that kick in. But like I said, at the very beginning of this, don't just listen to Tom and I on this and say this is this is what we're going to plan make sure you ask your tax preparer or a, an attorney or someone like that because like you know you can get in some real sticky situations with the IRS uh, if you if you just miss one of these steps
1: and point of clarification it doesn't necessarily need to be the last two years if i if i'm speaking correctly it needs to be 3 of the last 5 correct
2: Yeah. Two of the previous five, you have to live there and you couldn't have already claimed that 200,000 or 500,000 any of the two year period before the sale of home. So yeah, we get some, we get some folks that ask that, that bounce around between properties where they're living.
1: So what's your prediction We're we're sitting here in the first half of 2022, things are nuts. You and I are in the same business. Where, where are we going with this?
2: Based on what I see in our offices across five States, it's softened a little. We still have homes that were just listed coming in to sell and close. I don't see that part slowing down, but you know, every realtor I talk to anywhere in the U.S. says the same word, inventory. The inventory problem seems to be a real stickler right now. I don't know if it gets any better this year. I think the MBA and the, I believe either Fannie and the MBA and maybe NARN or the Association of Realtors and the Mortgage Bankers Association uh, adjusted their predictions recently on sort of a gloomier outcome that. The problem with home inventory wouldn't solve itself. The new construction isn't going to solve this because of the materials and labor are so expensive right now. So I think we're in just a softening mode right now. It's still great. I mean, we're, we still have 500 plus employees and everyone seems happy. COVID seems to, we seem to have figured out how to do some of this work from home stuff. My rule at Nightberry is we're only looking 90 days out because it's just for us, it's just a guess after that. But I look at how many properties you have listed, I look at all of our all of your competitors, I see what the inventories, see what the interest rates are, and I can kind of tell that it's going to be more of what it's been in May in the first part of June uh, through the rest of the summer. If I had to take a you said to guess and that would be my guess.
1: The realtors did originally say that 2022 would mimic 21 and then as you said they changed their forecast a little bit saying eh, I didn't see the word gloom, but I think I saw the word <laughs> softening a little bit. The inventory problem, obviously, yeah. is inventory is the problem, and it can't be solved immediately like you talked about the new construction. Not only just the prices, but the, the supply chain is still still catching up, and that's not there yet. People I know people are waiting six months once they order their windows. It's just crazy. So to summarize for all the listeners what we talked about, in a nutshell, if you are the owner of a primary residence, you can sell your house tax-free as long as you've lived there for two years and as long as you're not making more than a half million dollars if you're married and as long as you're not making more than 250 grand if you're single. On the commercial side, there is this option available called the 1031 exchange, which will allow you to sell your property, pay zero in taxes as long as you participate properly in this IRS program that allows you to step up and roll all that money kick it down kick the can down the road and buy another property it's like i talked about the law of circulation it it keeps the commercial market going buying and selling and exchanging it's all good stuff Craig, give me a give yourself a plug for Knightberry and what they can find on your website. Knight
2: with a K, Berry with an A. I guess that's how you say it. To Mr. Knight, Mr. Berry never made it uh, past the 1800s. The company was formed in 1854, so we're a very, very old company. Yeah, knightberry.com, there's information on there as to what to expect as a buyer or as a seller. When it comes to title and closing, if you want to know what to expect in that process, what type of documents you need to bring to closing, those types of things, those are all on our website. There's some useful forms power of attorney forms. There's all kinds of uh, the common everyday things. We don't just have people stumbling upon a title company
1: website. So we try to put the stuff that they are actually looking for out there. Your realtor friends do. Us realtors, we use your resources page all the time. So I appreciate you keeping that updated. So anything title, you go to nightberry.com. Anything real estate, you go to sellingmilwaukee.com. Appreciate you having here, Craig. This is pretty easy for you, isn't it? I see you on social media doing podcasts and And uh, videos, and you're speaking at events. Do you do? But do you guys have a podcast?
2: We put our videos that we uh, produce on our LinkedIn page, our Facebook page, and out there on uh, Twitter and stuff like that. So we try to keep them within two minutes. Just something uh, we'll try to give you bite-sized morsels, and you can find it any of those places you referenced.
1: Maybe next time, next next podcast I do with you, it'll be on easements, and we'll try not to bore the crowd.
2: You'd be surprised, Tom. There's some pretty interesting easement stories. I find them interesting. (laughs)
1: We're in the business. I find it all fascinating. So you never know. That's That's right. All right. Well, with that, we will wrap it up. I hope everybody found this uh, informative and educational. Use your local lenders. Buyers, use a local lender. Sellers, choose an offer with a local lender. You'll make your life easier my life and actually craig's life easier at the title company they prefer to use a local lender so use a local lender and until next time we will see you then take care
0: thanks for listening to home selling hero for more subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform and connect with tom across linkedin instagram and twitter if you have a question about selling your home or buying your next one reach out to Tom at Tom at or call or text him directly at 414-881-3290. Home Selling Hero is a production of Tom Didier Real Estate in partnership with Westport Studios. This podcast is for informational purposes only, and any information presented during the course of discussion is presented as reliable under the laws of the state of Wisconsin. Be sure to consult a local agent for any nuances where you may live.